historic moment. Raptors win. Good afternoon, good evening, rugby fans, and welcome to episode 34 of the DNVR Raptors podcast. My name is Colton Strickler. Um, we've got a lot to get into today before we get to our, our awesome interview with Jamie Burke. Um, I'll get to that in a second, but before we do, um, just got a few things we want to touch on. Um, so it's been relatively quiet around the MLR for the last couple weeks now, but um, there's a lot of news this week, a lot of, a lot of news coming out about um, a whole bunch of different things, so we'll jump into it right now. So the first thing on my list I want to talk about, um, USA Rugby released their return to play guidelines on Tuesday, I think it was. And it's a 10-page deck, really, that describes what needs to happen before rugby can fully return, just like how everything's kind of closed in phases. Rugby, like everything else, like every community, is, is opening in phases again. Um, and, and so there's a lot of different aspects as to what's allowed and when it's allowed. So I can read some of those to you right now. But from honestly, from the sounds of it, it does not sound like um, any organized competitive rugby match will be happening anytime soon. I'd be very surprised if anything goes on in 2020. Probably have to wait until 2021 to, to even get back to um, rugby, unfortunately. So I know some of these big tournaments are supposed to make decisions here in the next few weeks. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if all of them are, are canceled or postponed until next year. So um, kind of like every, like I was mentioning, every city, every community, every everything is opening back up in phases just the same way it closed. So the return to play stage guidelines that USA Rugby has released, stage one is stay at home. Um, I feel like most places are past the stay at home order wherever, they, wherever you live. Um, you're probably through that stage of, of reopening and um, moving into stage two, which is really like stay, stage one that the stay-at-home order is lifted, social distancing is in place, um, you can't have more than a few people. Um, but, but So here's what's stage two. This is the, this is the stage we're in right now in Colorado. Um, these, all these guidelines are based off your local government's rules. So whatever stage you are at the state that you live in or the city that you live in is what you have to go by. Um, and then and then USA Rugby kind of put the, the rest of the plan in place um, to go from there. So right now we're in stage two in Colorado. So according to USA Rugby, that means um, for training, individual training it needs to either be at home um, at, or at state-approved outdoor locations. You need to use your own personal equipment. You need to adhere to social distancing rules if you're not training at home. Um, all coaching has to occur virtually and you have to rigorously clean and disinfect the, the training area. For team activities, um, all communication and interaction with your team has to be done through a virtual method. Um, it's kind of like I'm sure everyone is still working like through Zoom or anything like that. It just all has to be done virtually. Um, for competition, no competition or inter-squad rugby activity is allowed right now. Um, and then they're, they're talking about insurance. So it says accident, liability, insurance claims are not accepted during stage two. So stage three, which is hopefully what um, here in Colorado we'll be getting into within the next week or so. Um, stage three is in terms of training, says that group size under local government approved 
amounts. So whatever the government okays for group size, whether that be 20 people, 30 people, 50 people, you have to keep it under that number. No contact drills or activities. So no tackling, no rucks, no scrums, no line out. You can't touch people. So mainly just be passing and stuff. Um, no participation of players or coaches experiencing symptoms within the last 14 days. So that's just kind of the same thing. If you're feeling sick, don't do anything. Just stay home and get better. Um, you got to have a temperature check for all participants upon arrival. Must register below 99.6 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, no use of communal equipment, including balls. So I guess that's still – you might be able to run patterns on air, but you can't pass the ball which I guess kind of contradicts myself what I just said as far as stage three rules, but that's what I get for not reading the whole thing. Still, team activities, all communication and interaction must be done via virtual method or at least of a distance of six feet so you coaches can be on site, but you just have to spread out. Um, no competition or inter-squad rugby activities, so again, no matches. Um, and then back to the insurance thing. And then stage four, that's when things are getting closer to normal. Um, that's when you can start practicing a little more normally. Um, it's still preferred that, that you communicate with your team virtually, but as long as you're following the rules set forth by local government um, and, you're, and you're still adhering to social distancing rules, that it, it can go on, but it looks like you can pass and you can um, – and stuff like that. It doesn't look like you can tackle anything yet. Um, in terms of competition, inter-squad rugby activity, so scrimmages and – and all that stuff with limited contact can take place. So that means uncontested scrums and rucks and mauls. So I'd assume that would be some sort of like touch method. I doubt there would be full-on tackles. Um, just kind of like a, if you've ever played touch rugby, you touch the guy, touch the person, um, they lay down, they place the ball, nobody, no, no counter rucks or anything, and, and you can keep playing. And then finally, stage five, that's when everything is really back to normal, like literally stage five definition says normal social activities, full training and competition. So that's like seriously back to normal. Um, and um, if just the way that it's been going, they're, they're taking a very cautious approach. It just doesn't seem like that's going to happen this year. I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong, but I just don't see that happening this year. I think uh, realistically we can start doing that stuff again in 2021. But we will see. So that's like a basic rundown of the return to play guidelines. Um, so obviously that, that means that you can't do any of that at any level. Um, if it's if it's a, a thing under the umbrella of USA Rugby, whether it's a youth camp, a youth league, um, club league, club matches, anything like that, that's not going to – if it falls under that umbrella, it's, it's off the table until um, we're good to go, until your local government says that you can do things. So – um, that's kind of the, the basic rundown on that. I know that was a little bit long. A second piece of news I wanted to get to this week was, so that, uh, the USA rugby released their, their return to play guidelines on Tuesday. The second piece of news dropped on Wednesday. And that was that Rob Hoadley, the head coach of the San Diego Legion, stepped down from his position on Wednesday. Um, he was citing that, I'll, I'll read you the statement. San Diego Legion has, uh, oops, this is the, uh, the announcement. Anyways, uh, they're talking, here it is. Effective immediately, Coach Rob Hoadley has stepped down as a head coach of the San Diego Legion to spend more time with his growing family. Coach Hoadley wishes the Legion family well. I would like to thank owners Ryan Patterson, Darren Gardner, for their opportunity to help build a very special organization. I look forward to watching the Legion's success on the field in the coming years. I would also like to extend a big thank you and good luck to all the players, staff, and fans. 
There have been many memorable moments in the last three seasons, and I know there will be many more ahead for Legion Rugby. San Diego Legion Chairman Darren Gardner stated, We very much appreciate Rob's hard work over the last three years as part of San Diego Legion's leadership group. As an organization, we are very well positioned for the future. Ryan, I personally and professionally wish Rob all the very best in his future rugby endeavors. So um, that's kind of shocking. It really came out of nowhere. Um, Sounds like he wants to spend more time with his family, which is admirable. Um, uh, so what they've done, they announced, that was on Wednesday, so they announced yesterday on Thursday, Zach Test and Scott Murray have been named co-head coaches. Uh, they announced that on Thursday. Zach Test and Scott Murray were both assistant coaches last year. I'm pretty sure Zach Test ran the back, Scott Murray ran the forwards. Um, Zach Test is a guy who spent seven years on the seven circuit, has been coaching since he's re- since he retired. He's coached a little bit before that. And when I was kind of coming up through through the rugby ranks, um, Zach Tess was like the first real legend to me, which is kind of crazy to think about now because he's only 30 years old. Um, but when I attend, I attend a USA camp in high school, and all the coaches used to use Zach Tess as a measuring stick. So um, I've got the chance to talk to him once or twice since I've uh, done some work with the MLR. Uh, super nice guy. I'm really pumped for him to get this opportunity. I kind of once they announced that Rob was leaving. I kind of figured Zach would, would slide into that position, and um, he's doing so with Scott Murray as a co-head coach. Uh, he was the Legion's forward coach last year, like I mentioned. He was a really good player, um, 87 caps for Scotland, played lock, played high-level rugby all over the world. So um, good for the Legion. They're keeping things as steady as, as they possibly can with the departure of Rob. Uh, I know when I was doing work with MLR, I had the chance to talk to Rob quite a bit. I probably talked to Rob more than I did any other head coach. Super nice guy, super interesting guy. Very, um, he's got a very interesting philosophy on how to build a team, and it was obviously working. The, the Legion hadn't lost a game yet this season. They were one and a half minutes away from winning the the championship last season. So uh, Rob did a really good job building that program, getting it started. And um, uh, I'll miss talking to him, but I'm I'm glad he's uh, he's doing what he wants. He's going out on his own terms. So good for him. So in the last little bit of news was that um, the MLR announced the name of the Los Angeles franchise yesterday. So this year, uh, Los Angeles and Dallas will be the two new markets entering the MLR. Um, it'll be good for them to expand, but if you paid attention at all to the announcement yesterday, you know people aren't very happy about the name. So the name of the Los Angeles franchise is the Los Angeles Giltinis. Um, it's very similar to Gilgronies, and that's because both of the the ownership group for, owns both of the teams. They own the Austin team, and they own the um, now the LA team. So Austin used to be Austin Elite Rugby, then they went to Austin Herd for a few months in the off season, um, and then they were bought by Loyal's LLC, Loyal's Rugby, and they are now the Austin Gilgronies. So they're named after drinks that um, this company is making. Uh, Gilgroni is like a Negroni, and uh, Giltini is going to be like a martini. So um, they're naming them after these alcoholic drinks. And it just doesn't, if you if you saw the announcement yesterday when it hit the internet yesterday afternoon, um, people weren't too pumped about it. And a lot of the similar messaging across all the platforms was just like, they want, they want MLR to be taken seriously. They want it to be um, respected around the world. And they feel like it's just kind of gimmicky to, to name these. I can read you a few responses and, uh, kind of show you what I'm talking about, but that's that was like the the big piece of news that dropped yesterday. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if if we see a lot of uh, former Raptors on that team. So I mean that's kind of 
that's kind of what's uh, going on with that. I'll try to find some. Here, here's one right at the top of the head. This is some serious BS. I support the Austin team, but the Gilgronis name is stupid, and Giltinis is too. Strongly agree that those arguing is a horrible look for MLR and will not help raise rugby's profile here in the States. It's a bad joke. Um, this is the moment that MLR jumps to shark. I can't see it being a success now. Not enough domestic players for the numbers of team having to hire overseas journeymen in their 30s to make up squads. Lack of a clear marketing vision as displayed here. The ship is sinking. Um, MLR really phoned it in on this. I understand not trying to take ourselves too seriously, but how did a boardroom of people sit down and believe for a second that this was a good idea? Whoever came up with this idea needs more people around them with enough courage to say. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of, I mean, that's just a couple of things like straight off the post. You can see the frustration um, and we'll, we'll see. <laughs> I mean, we'll see how it works. Interesting, interesting philosophy, but um I'm I'm doing a podcast, so I'm not running a, an MLR team, but just just bringing you the news here. Um, so that's kind of what's up with that. So I guess with that, we'll go ahead and jump into my conversation with Jamie Burke. Jamie Burke, if you're not familiar, is the most capped USA Women's Rugby player of all time. She's got 51 caps. She is the one of the newest members of the USA Rugby Hall of Fame. She just got elected in the class of 2020 this year. Um, she, she's a, a great coach. She's got her hands in a lot of different coaching aspects, whether that be with the national team, whether that be with the Merlins, whether that be with the Colorado All-State team, um, really anything, anything that's got rugby going on, um, Jamie's involved. She runs the Glendale Youth Rugby Program. So uh, she, she's a person that's dedicated to growing the game, um, a person that's had a very interesting life, a very um, – interesting career and, and one that I'm excited for you guys to to hear our conversation so um, I, I'm, I'm happy that Jamie came on to the show with me I'm, I'm really looking forward to you guys listening to it and I guess with that we'll go ahead and jump into my conversation with USA Rugby Hall of Famer Jamie Burke. All right now we welcome on to the show Jamie Burke um, she is Amongst a lot of other things, she's the director of uh, the youth rugby programs here at Glendale, newest USA Rugby Hall of Famer, most capped women's player in USA history. Uh, I feel like I'm leaving a lot of stuff out. Is that right, Jamie? That's all right. I wear a lot of hats. Yes. Uh, how are you doing? Oh, not too bad. Not yeah. too bad. Cool. Yeah. So I've been. I want to get you on. Um, I feel like you you are one of the most interesting people that probably works at Glendale. I've thought this for quite a while, so I'm happy to have you join me. So. I'm ready to jump into it if you are. Great. Cool. So you could just tell me a little bit about um, where you're from and, and kind of what your background was growing up before you started playing rugby. Did you play other sports or, um, yeah, just tell me about growing up. Sure. Um, so I grew up all over the place. Uh, my mom was in the Navy, so uh -huh. relocated a bunch, um, but always played sports. Um, uh -huh. Was a primarily a soccer player, um, but I did play high school football. I played basketball. I well, I didn't run track, but I threw in track. I did field hockey, so I kind of just dabbled in the mall um, and uh, went to the University of Virginia for mm -hmm. college and um, was a little bit lost, <laughs> didn't yeah. know where I fit in, <laughs> um, and was wandering through an activity fair one day, and one of the rugby players uh, pegged me with a rugby ball, um, and it was... 
I was actually really mad. Uh, yeah. And then she was like, have you ever played rugby? No, I have no idea what it is. You ever given it thought? No. Do you ever play sports? Yeah, I played soccer and football. She's like, perfect. Yeah. Here's a flyer. Here's the details. Went out and... The rest is, as we shall say, history. Yeah, for real. So before we get into to your actual rugby career, since you mentioned you played soccer and football, when you when you played rugby, what, what did it kind of feel like you were playing more? Because I was the same way. I played soccer when I was a little kid, and I played football, and then I made the switch to rugby in high school. And to me, it always felt like more like playing soccer. Would, would you agree with that, or what, what do you think about that? Um Yes and no. I was a goalie, uh-huh. um, and I was a very aggressive goalie. Yeah. I was a throw your body in, pe- in front of people's feet, um, you know, charge out and challenge them to try and continue attacking. Um, so in some ways, I played soccer the way I play football, the way I play rugby. Mm-hmm. Um, it was... Uh, it was, I, I remember getting a penalty in my first rugby game because I, I tackled a line out jumper out of the air uh-huh. <laughs> because I was like, you can tackle someone out of the yeah. air in football. You can hit someone whenever you want to. Um, you know, so, so it was a big shift going from a goalie and an offensive lineman to then a rugby field where you're running for 80 minutes. I, yeah. I definitely was ill-equipped for the cardio side of rugby (laughs) uh, relative to to some of the other sports yeah okay so when you 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 get um, recruited to come play rugby at this at this activity fair was it from the first practice that you were hooked or when did when did you kind of catch the bug it was kind of at the first practice um it was but it was less the first practice and more the first after practice um Mm. like i liked the sport well enough but it was the after practice where everyone was like hey we're all gonna go to the dining hall and get dinner together and then we're gonna all go to the library and hang out and like do school work and it was all of a sudden like for someone who had felt relatively lost coming to a university as a first year to all of a sudden have this like built-in community and and family structure i think that was actually what hooked me and then i got better at rugby and understood more of it and then fell more in love with the actual game itself right so what i guess i guess leading into to that next question and is when did you realize that this was something that you like really wanted to pursue and take seriously was that was that from like midway through your first year? Was it after the first year? When when did it click for you? You were like, I want to see actually like how far I can go with this. Um, I think at the end of my first year of playing, uh, my university went on to Sweet Sixteens, um, mm-hmm. and, and for the first time ever, um, and you know we we beat Penn state by like one point Uh in, you know, the regional playoffs back when there were regions and things like that. But, um, and it was really cool to realize that there was actually rugby was a thing. Like it wasn't just like the, the vagabonds at UVA who just played and were good, but like realizing that was actually a, a national, um, entity. Yeah. And so I started looking at, how else could I learn more about rugby? And I don't know that I knew then that it was about becoming as good as I could be. It was more just, I had kind of caught the bug and wanted to like, just be around the sport more. Um, and so the summer after my first year of, uh, college, I went to Australia, Mm -hmm. um, on a rugby study abroad program. (laughs) Uh, it didn't last very long, but Uh it was a program that was 
geared towards taking American rugby players and taking them to Australia. And you basically did a study abroad. You did a couple of study abroad courses and formed a rugby team and yeah. traveled around Australia playing matches while doing your study abroad that courses. So fun. It was, it was a <laughs> lot of fun. And, and I, I'm still in contact with, um, a number of the folks that I went on that trip with, like, um, like Karen Fong Donahue, who's runs the Ruggers edge. Yeah. She, and she was actually one of the centers on that team Okay. Uh, because it's, you know, it was just a mishmash of players from yeah. UC Davis, UC Berkeley, um, Rice, me from university, me from the university of Virginia, someone from Yale, like UC Boulder. Yeah. And then we all came together, formed a rugby team and, um, but I think actually going over there and playing, we got to play some pretty high-level rugby, and we also had some high-caliber coaches from some of the provincial sides. Yeah. Um, and so, again, just kind of got a little bit more exposure um, and learned more about the game and learned about how it's played in different parts of the world. Um, and so I think when I came back for my second year, um, I, I, my understanding of the game had shifted yeah. uh, quite a bit. Um, and so I think I was able to be a better, more effective player. Yeah. Um, and that's when I, and that's when I started getting kind of looked at and selected for some U23, uh, events and going forward with that. Yeah. That's perfect lead into the next question. And so you, you immerse yourself really in like all the rugby you can in different parts of the world, like halfway around the world. And then you come back and, and you're playing through college. Um, what I guess I don't know what to ask first, so I guess I'll ask the national team question first. Is when did you get involved with the national team? I know you're saying you're being scouted for U23 and stuff like that. So, just kind of how did that come about, and what that kind of turned into? Sure. Um, so I was playing for um, well at the time we had were, were ITTs, the interterritorial tournaments, and it was the different regions would put all star teams together, and so they had U23 ITTs which, you know, was like, so Mar back when it was Marfu and Pacific, um, you know, Pat uh -huh. Coast and Northeast and things like that before it switched to the GUs. And so I played for the Marfu U23 team. And at the at those U23 ITTs, the national U23 coaches would be there. And so, you know, the top players from those got invited to the US U23 training camps. Yeah. And so wound up getting selected to a U.S. U23 program and toured up in Canada and played uh -huh. up there. Um, and then there's senior side ITTs. So it, the equivalent of the U23, but for, you know, the grownups, basically. Right. But the U.S. U23 team was always in that event. So it would be the Marfu senior side, the Northeast senior side, you know, and then the U.S. U23 team would be yeah. in there as one of the eight teams in that tournament and that allowed the national team coaches to again scout right. all of those top caliber players um and that's i think really where i started to get seen um you know i got invited to a, a bunch of camps for probably a good year i just you know went to camps and didn't really um go very far with it yeah um and then in 2004 uh, finally made broke my way in um, mm -hmm. and that was when I got my first cap at the Churchill Cup in Calgary Canada yeah and I was against New Zealand is that right yep what what was that like because that's like your very first cap is against like the premier rugby country I bet that was extremely nerve-wracking right it was nerve-wracking um but it was also um 
and it, it sounds bad in saying it now, but I was I was not a starter. I was a sub uh-huh. when I first started playing for the national team, and I was like one of those like fifteen minute subs kind yeah. of thing. Um, and at the point at which I went into the game, I think we were losing like thirty five to ten or something yeah. like that. So it was nerve wracking, um, but it also wasn't as stressful as like yeah, going into like a twenty two twenty game, sure, yeah. and you're like every move I could make could make or break this game. Um, so it wasn't as bad as it could have been. Yeah. I did feel like I was standing still, like everything felt like it was going 6 million <laughs> miles an hour. Like I just right. couldn't process the speed of play out there fast enough for, yeah. for what was going on. I felt like I was always just like one step or two steps behind everything. Uh-huh. I guess that's almost like the best way to learn then is in a situation like that. Cause you are still experiencing like the full you're getting the full experience of playing that high-level rugby, but, yeah, it's not as much pressure as you say. So I guess when when did you feel like you had – you were comfortable? Like, when did you feel like you got your sea legs under you? Was that a couple – How like, how many test matches down the road or how many appearances down the road did you say – would you say you felt like you got the grasp of it? I mean, because you ultimately did get the grasp of it better than anybody else, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's one of those funny things. I – you know, when you when you first start playing for a national team, uh, you know, I don't think anyone ever goes out there being like, well, I'm going to be the most capped. Right. Like, you're just like one game at a time, yeah, yeah. one match at a time. Um, and it, it wasn't it might not have even been until after my first World Cup, really, uh-huh. like, you know, that I was like. Oh, I'm a national team player. Yeah. You know, I think I had a lot of imposter syndrome for a long time of being like. I don't know. Do they realize they keep inviting me back? (laughs) Do they, do they know who I am? Like, am I supposed to be here? Um, you know, and so it was only really once I, once I, I think crossed the threshold into becoming a veteran, um, you know, because when I joined the team, there was a pretty solid, um, cohort of Mm -hmm. folks who had, been together for a number of years like there were a number of folks at the 2006 world cup who had also played in the 2002 world cup um and so there were there were only kind of a small number of us that were relative rookies yeah um and so i think after the 2006 world cup there was a very large retirement class that kind of left the fold um and it was me and you know four other players who kind of were still really in it yeah um and that was i think when i realized so we went on tour in 2007 um and played in england and we in in our test match against england uh we had 19 new caps jeez <laughs> Yeah. Oh so, my goodness. Uh, you know, so there like were there were. Roster, oh huh? yeah. <laughs> uh, well, and this was before the twenty-three person roster, right? So it was twenty-two. Yeah. Um, and so there were three of us oh that had been goodness. previously capped. It was uh, me, Rose Whitmore, and um, uh, Ashley English, who was the captain uh, at the time, and the three of us, right, were were the only folks who had any international experience. And I think that was the point at which I was like, oh, I guess I'm a vet now. <laughs> You're still, yeah, we're still. <laughs> I'm here. a veteran. <laughs> Wow, that's crazy. I, that's I've never heard of like that many. Was it, what was that like then? Was it like how how does that influence like your expectations? Like that's got to be kind of tough, right? Like going from a very like experienced core of people to now you have to kind of lead the way in this new era of rugby. What what was that kind of like? 
I mean, it, it was hard because, you know, when I came in, there was already a core and a culture and a, yeah. a series of expectations. And so you came in and you kind of learned very quickly how to fit into the systems that were created. Um, and there wasn't any of that going into that kind of 2007, 2008 timeframe, um, or at least there wasn't enough of it because everyone was new. So there wasn't, mm -hmm. you know, and there wasn't enough momentum from the, the few of us that were still around um, to be able to lay that cultural foundation down. Um, and so I think it, it definitely made it harder uh, because yeah. you just didn't know I mean, I knew what to expect and I knew the standards right. I was going to be held to by the vets who had retired. Yeah. Um, but I, there wasn't enough of us to be able to kind of create that collective yeah. mindset. Okay. Yeah. That, that's going to lead into a question I have a little bit later, but before we get to that, um, you have so many different rugby memories and high points in your career, but if you had to pick a couple, two or three, four, um, that stick out to you is, is, could you do that? Is there a couple that come to the top of your head, whether that be like, I know, and I've done this in the past, Luke White had talked about playing a high school match in front of thousands of people, something like that. Or maybe it was like earning, like breaking the caps record, earning your 51st one, your, um, one of the world cup, anything like that. Is there a few things that come to the top of your head? Um, I mean, I think there are some that are good. There are some that are good but bad um <laughs> so you know it's funny because like i can remember my last cap i cannot remember my first cap i think everything was going wait like yeah. i remember it conceptually like it happened it was a date there was a time right. like but i have no i'm sure it was everything actual was recollection moving. of yeah. it um uh but my last cap was very it was very memorable yeah um because i because I knew going into that match that it was my last match. Like I had, I had made the decision that I was retiring at the end of the 2014 World Cup. And so like every moment that I was on the field and every moment like during the anthem and during the end, like everything I was, I was trying to like sear it into my brain because I knew yeah. it was going to be my last time um, having that experience. Um, and so that one is one that like is just very vivid yeah. uh, because I have the intentionality because I, you know, cause there's, there's definitely players that I know who, um, you know, didn't just kind of decide when they were retiring, right. they had to retire because of injury yeah, or something like yeah. that. And like, so they, they didn't actually realize their last match was their last match, right. you know? Um, and so I think that that was certainly one of them. Um, the, the match, you know, that I mentioned earlier, um, and if Pete Steinberg listens to this, he'll 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 remember it because we talk about it still many many years later because yes. he was the Penn State coach at the time. But like when we beat Penn State at the regional playoffs to go on to nationals, yeah. you know we won I think twelve to eleven, uh -huh. um, and and it was like Penn State has always been a you know a, a very dominant force and and UVA was was good not good good not good kind of then started to. And it's kind of taken on, um, we always refer to ourselves as the bad news who's, uh -huh. like kind of a throwback to like the bad news bears kind of mindset. Yeah. Um, and, and so it was like this really like, uh, you know, um, giant tamer kind of moment yeah. for this like ragamuffin group of rugby players <laughs> to, to take down, you know, what, what we perceived as a, as a behemoth. Yeah. Um, and so that one is definitely, uh, definitely one. Um, you know, 
uh, my 50th cap, um, which is funny because it was the, the game before my last game, right? right? Um, is one that I, I remember because we won. It was a very tight game, uh, you know, against Australia. Um, and it and it was, you know, this kind of weird, like, end of my era as well as, like, setting a new milestone. Right. Yeah, um, that's a nice round number. I could see how that would... <laughs> yeah, 51 just feels weird. Yeah. I'm like, well, I'm glad I get to end on 51. But it does... Yeah. I'm, I'm like, well... Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but that one was... It was... It was memorable, obviously, because it was my 50th, but also um, because there's a lot of pomp and circumstance that goes around a 50th cap. Uh Um, You know, because it it was at the World Cup, and so there was, like, this introduction thing and interviews and all these other things that I was like, this is weird. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then I think one of the ones where I said it's good and bad is uh, when we played against France, we played in the Stade de France um, Mm -hmm. in, it would have been 2012, um, and... The Stad is massive. Like it's just a massive stadium. I had, and it was by no means full uh, yeah. to any measure when we played there, but it was still just the act of playing in this. Just, I mean, a, you know, the equivalent of playing in like an NFL stadium. Right. Um. So playing there, um, and I, but it was also it was filmed. It was on NBC Sports. All these things. I wound up getting sinbend. Oh, um, nice. What did you do? I pulled down a mall. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I pulled down a mall. Uh, but it, it, it stopped a try. So yeah. I accept that as, uh, I mean, they scored a try. Eventually. But yeah, but you, it stopped, that, stopped yeah. that one try. Um, but then coming home, they did lots of replays. And it and so it was really wild to go with some friends of mine because I was living in North Carolina at the time. And so a bunch of my Raleigh Venom friends and I, we went to the the, the bar or the pizza place where it was showing up on nice. replaying on NBC Sports and like having myself on like the TV yeah. in, in the bar when I'm in the sin bin, there's a, vi- a camera right in my face. I'm just, you know, nostrils flaring, yes. trying not to, you know, kick the camera guy who's you know, inches, yeah, inches from my face. Uh, but it was surreal, right? Yeah. It was surreal to be in this sort of professional sports environment in, in that way. Yes. Yeah. Because I just, rugby has always been such a fringe sport in terms of like where I played it up until I wound up playing for the national team. Yeah. That's awesome. And and I wanted to go back to you talking about your your last cap and you said you knew going into it that that was going to be your last one. Did you tell anybody before that or was it just something that you kind of had known yourself? Um I hadn't made any sort of official retirement announcement. Yeah. Um I had more or less I think everyone on the team I knew about it um you know like um kit who used to be here yeah and, um, I, rem- I remember kit yeah so like she was on the team with me and both of us had had the, that conversation that we knew this was this was it yeah. um you know so there were definitely a lot of folks um who knew it was my last match my partner monica knew it was my last match uh-huh. um you know but i don't i don't know that i made any sort of official like retirement yeah speech or anything like that um but it was it was common knowledge Mm -hmm. yeah people had an idea that you just Mm -hmm. didn't confirm anything um so then the next thing i want to ask you about is what was it like hearing that you were going to be inducted in the hall of fame this year 
Super, super well, it's it, it awesome. It's an incredible honor. And I'm like, am I really that old? <laughs> right? Like, like yeah. you know, because I still feel um, relatively young in the overall scheme of things. Yeah. Um, and and so it was quite the honor to to feel like I am being inducted into a place that houses the folks that I view as legends. Yeah. Right? Like, because I don't. I don't necessarily think of myself in those terms. Like, you know, I'm just Jamie. Um, and so it's, it is kind of a weird idea to, to realize, and it, and it happens, it it has happened a couple of times and and my partner gives me a, a little bit of a hard time about it. Uh, which is that I, I'll give you an example because I think that yeah. highlights it. So we were we went to the World Cup in 2017 that was in Ireland. Mm-hmm. So me and my partner and our daughter, mm-hmm. you know, and at the end of uh, one of the matches, like we're leaving the stadium after uh, the USA match, and I'm like pushing Camden in a stroller <laughs> down the street, and like this group of girls, like this it, Monica refers to it as a gaggle, but this gaggle <laughs> of girls comes up and like, oh my god, are you Jamie Burke? Can we get your uh-huh. autograph? And I was like, uh. <laughs> Uh, sure. Yeah. You know, like, like, a, I'm like, I, I didn't perceive myself as that memorable or recognizable. Right. Um, and and Monica was like, "You're just a legend," and I was like, "I'm not. I'm just Jamie." Like, but you know, so I, like, I don't yeah. view myself in that same light as I view like Kathy Flores and Alex Williams and Candy Orsini. Like, they are to me legends because they were my coaches, right? Yeah. They were my coaches on the national team. So. To, to be put in that same category still feels really like, I'm like, it's again, the imposter syndrome. I'm like, are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> are you sure you got the right Jamie Burke? <laughs> yes. That's awesome though. I'm sure. So how does, how does that work? Like, how do you find out? Do they, they give you a call or how does that, how does that work? Yeah. So I got a call, um, from Brian Vizard, who's runs mm-hmm. the, um, the U S rugby foundation, um, and the hall of fame. Um, and so he called me you know, probably a month before the announcement, you know, and he just was like, Hey, I wanted to give you a call because I wanted to let you know, uh, that the, you know, committee has met and we've decided, you know, and you're going to be inducted in the 2020. And I was like, huh? <laughs> what? Yeah. Uh, oh, 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 okay. Like it was almost like I, yeah. I felt like I had a really weird stilted response because I couldn't quite process, right. um, what, uh, what he was saying. Um, and, and then he was like, and you know, if you can keep it to yourself, um, for a few more weeks till we do the press release. Mm -hmm. And I was like, uh, okay, (laughs) great. So it was, so it was, it was, it was awesome. And it was kind of anticlimactic because I was like, so I told my partner and so she was very excited about it. But then other than that, it was just kind of like sitting on it for a month until it got uh, released to the public. Man, that sounds crazy. I, and it's a bummer that, I mean, this year of all years, probably not going to get to celebrate with the big dinner like they do in the past but i'm sure they'll make it up to you in the future yeah Um, Yeah, they haven't they haven't decided right because it was originally supposed to be scheduled for before the arc match mm -hmm. that was here yeah um you know that's still up in the air right um and so you know if that can't happen i think they i think they will still plan to do a big dinner it just is when like yes. when can we have rugby matches with spectators because exactly. that's probably when we'll be able to have it yes and, uh, yeah i hope i hope it's soon for i'm sure everybody's in that same boat um so kind of going back to what you were saying about like ushering in this this like new era of rugby and and 
you know, laying the, the ground rules and, and the ex expectations for these new people that you kind of had coming up. Um, is, is that kind of when you decided that you wanted to get into coaching? Was that kind of your first like foray into into the coaching universe or um, when, when did you kind of make that decision? On coaching? Yeah. Mm, I mean, I think there were there were a couple of different places. I mean, I I coached throughout my not throughout but during a significant portion of my playing career whether by accident um or by necessity yeah uh you know so there were a couple of times where i had some bad injuries um and so while i was recovering i wound up taking on a coaching right. role uh, but i hadn't really owned a sort of coaching identity um and then um, I did coaching when I was in North Carolina um, for a period of time before I moved out here to Colorado. And then I got into coaching, you know, after I retired from playing, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to continue to be a part of rugby. I didn't necessarily, I mean, right after the World Cup, I actually came back and, and started refereeing a bunch. And I was a, I, I refed a ton the fall of 2014, um, you know, because I just didn't know what role I wanted to play. Uh -huh. I knew I wasn't going to step away from rugby. Yeah. Um, and so I took some time off and, and the, there was a couple of opportunities that presented themselves around some high performance coaching opportunities and starting to kind of dabble in higher level international uh, type programs. We did this, um, USA Rugby hosted um, what was called the Elite Coach Development Program. Um, and you could apply to be in that and you started getting exposure to coaching at the age grade programs and at, you know, with the Collegiate All-Americans and with the um, senior sides at a more regional level. And I started doing that and I really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. um, and I really enjoyed the that impact and so i was like hmm maybe i could do this um and so that that was in you know kind of springish of 2015 and so then the fall of 2015 is when i um uh stepped into coaching mm -hmm. um more fully uh when i was uh, started as an assistant coach here with um glendale yeah Cool. And then I want to ask you too, kind of about the work that you've been doing with the, the youth program. Um, how long have you had that role and, and what's been kind of uh, your experience with that thus far? Well, it's been a bummer for the past couple months. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's been a bummer for the past um, couple months. So I have been in the, in the youth role for about a year and a half. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, the, the, the youth program here at Glendale is super robust. Um, Jenna Anderson, who had the role before me, really built it up to what it is. Uh, and so I felt like I had some really big shoes to fill. Um, and, you know, particularly because she had been in that role for 11 years. Like yeah. I'm the second person, basically, to right. hold, have this position. Uh, and so when I first came into the role, I, and this is kind of a philosophy anyway, is um, I didn't do anything major, didn't do any major shakeups for the first year I was in the position um, because I needed to just see how things have been going. Like, I think it's really easy to come into a position and be like, I'm going to change this and this and this and this. And it's like, but why? Like, why right. would I change something that's working? Yeah. And do I even know what's not working if I don't have a chance to kind of watch it through an entire cycle? I can't watch the life cycle of the program yeah. happen. Um, and so, you know, I went through 
my first year. Um, and I made some, some changes more programmatically around like how we did things operationally, Mm -hmm. um, like getting things online and, and being able to kind of do all, all our registration processes digitally. Um, but for the most part, didn't change very much about our programs, uh, just so I could see what's working, what's not. Um, and then this year, um, I've kept the, the, backbone of the program pretty much the same, but I've just looked at starting to do some expansion um, and sort of expand different opportunities uh, because one of the challenges, and it's, um, it's a good challenge to have, but is Glendale is a very popular rugby destination um, mm-hmm. and there, and therefore there is limited opportunity for programming here in terms of expansion. Yeah. Like you can only grow a youth program that's housed at the Glendale facility, but so large because you just run out of field space. You run yeah. out of coaches. You run, you know, run out of days of the week that you can <laughs> exactly. have rugby on. And so, if we're going to grow youth rugby um, for you know the Glendale youth rugby program, it's not necessarily going to be able to be at you know Infinity Park turf field. Yeah. Like it's really going to be going into uh, new locations or just new opportunity areas. And so, one of the things that um, we've started developing and I'm super bummed, uh, that it, <laughs> that it kind of got, uh, waylaid by COVID yeah. is we really had started to expand some of our school-based offerings and yeah. some of our after-school programs and some programs were actually going into schools, um, and providing their PE programming just through rugby. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was starting to take on some, get some momentum and starting to, uh, develop its own identity. Um, and it, you know, got, cut short, you know, six, seven weeks into the program. Um, but that's kind of was the, is the next, I think, iteration of what we're looking to do with the youth programs. Keep doing the types of programs we've been doing, keep doing trial league and opportunities for kids to play, but also figuring out how can we get more rugby to more kids who may or may not have access to infinity park. That's interesting that you say that I've never thought about it in that way that there's just literally so much stuff going on here that, that, I mean, yeah, you, you can't grow a program like you would like just yeah. on that field. But um, that's an interesting way to, to look at that. Um, the, one of the other things I want to ask is w- why should kids play rugby, in your opinion? Like if there's a parent listening to this and they're thinking about getting their kid in rugby, like what, what, would, be, what would be your um, your spiel about why kids should play rugby? Um, I mean, I think there's two different pieces, right? There's the piece where it's just rugby is just fun. Yeah, <laughs> it's a fun sport. Fun. <laughs> um, it's a it's a fun sport that has a lot of opportunity for all different body types, types and sh- shapes and sizes. Um, you know, and I think that is one of the kind of unique aspects of rugby. Uh, you know, and it's it's different than other sports in that everyone is on attack, everyone's on defense. Mm-hmm. Like all of the skill sets are kind of ubiquitous, and it's not all right well this is you are only ever going to be an offensive lineman and you're never going to actually touch a ball right like it's like, you know everyone plays um so i think that that is one part of it and then the other part is the kind of the overall ethos of rugby um you know and i think that comes down from the values of rugby of inclusion and diversity and mm-hmm. and passion and all of those things like it tends to create um a unique culture and community, yeah. um, in the folks that do play rugby. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, 
the the idea that you know and obviously not at the youth game necessarily although we're trying to build up <laughs> the social side just in more of juice boxes and right. orange slices but this idea that you can play a sport you can you know be really competitive on the field and really go after each other and that at the end of the game you come together and there's a camaraderie and there's mm -hmm. this shared understanding that you can't actually play the sport without each other, yeah. right? Like I can't play on my team without your team to play against. And therefore like we are in this as a collective. Um, and it just creates a different community and a different vibe around rugby. Um, and I think it makes it, it more, it does, it makes it more inclusive. It makes it, uh, you know, and I, so I think kids feel that. Yeah. Um, and it brings out um, kind of really positive sides of them. I mean, and you said it best at the beginning of our conversation with, going to Virginia, like that's what brought you back is you said not necessarily the practice, but just having friends that actually like brought you into the group and, and stuff like that. So, I mean, that's a, that's about as much proof as, <laughs> yeah, as right? you could ask for. Yeah. All right. And then the last question I wanted to ask is off the top of your head, could you tell me how many countries that you've been through? Uh, through rugby? <laughs> oh, through rugby. Cause I was like, well, I mean, um, it sounds like you've been to, you've seen quite a bit of the world. <laughs> yeah. So Australia, Scotland, Ireland, France, Italy, um, the U.S., Canada, uh, Netherlands. <laughs> I think those are all of them. I haven't actually been to New Zealand. Uh -huh. I'm excited about the 2021 World Cup next year because yeah. that'll be my... Make a trip. <laughs> yep. That'll be the, the first time. Um, oh, and, and South Africa. Uh-huh. And South Africa. I've been to South Africa for rugby. Um, so those are all the all the places I think I've been. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure you remember when you're trying to go to bed tonight, too, if you, if you forgot one or two. Yeah. I mean, I've played more countries from different locations than that. Yeah. But just in, you know, so playing Kazakhstan right. in... Um, London, right? Uh -huh. So gotten played at the World Cup, but Kazakhstan was there, right? Playing South yeah. Africa in Glendale. Uh, well, that's reason enough to try rugby too, right? You get yeah. travel. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right, Jamie, that's all the questions I had. Did you, do you want to add anything? Is there anything you want to promo? <laughs> uh, no. I mean, we're we're just trying to figure out where we're going from here with rugby. Yeah. We've got to... Trying to figure out what our next options are. That's that's the world right now, too, <laughs> though. So, All right, Jamie, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed yeah, it a lot. thanks for having me. Yep. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jamie Burke. Thank you again to Jamie for taking the time out of your day to come do that with me. I really enjoyed the conversation. Looking forward to catching up with Jamie again here soon. Uh, and then I guess to close out the show, I just wanted to promote some stuff like we do every week. I uh, just wanted to remind you all that we will be watching uh, the number two match on, on my Raptors list on Sunday at 11 a.m. It will be the Raptors playoff victory in, from 2018 over the Utah Warriors. So it will be a fun game. Uh, obviously a lot riding on the line in the game. And if you if you paid attention to rugby at all or if you've listened to the show at all, you know that the Raptors win, spoiler alert. But it will be fun to watch. Um, I, I've enjoyed watching it with all you guys, helping people. Uh, new people get into the sport and um, just really, just really, uh, I, I like talking about it. I like watching it. It's fun to watch back. This is a, one of the games that I've only watched once or twice. So it'll be kind of like watching it fresh again. And um, so obviously I'll have a piece out on that on Saturday and then we'll we'll jump into it at 11 a.m. on Sunday. I'll be tweeting out instructions on at DMVR Raptors and at Colton Strickler on Twitter. 
So that's the best way to keep uh, keep in the loop. Um, and remember, please send any questions you have about anything going on. Obviously, a lot of news this week. Um, and if you got any questions about uh, my conversation with Jamie or, or anything you want to answer at all, uh, don't be afraid to send it in. Leave a comment on a post. Shoot me a DM. Just tweet at me, whatever. Um, I'll see it all. So thank you guys for listening. Um, I hope everyone's doing well. Hope you're staying healthy. Hope you had a great day. Uh, hope you had a great week, and I'll catch you guys next week.